You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your geologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me, talking about their journey, how they got to where they are now, how they get through the fears, the doubts, listening to themselves, and um, reminding you that it's up to you to claim your joy, your worth, your success, your enoughness every single day because it's not out there somewhere. Once I get this job, once I get this love, once I get this money, then I'll have it. Nope. It's a day-to-day choice. On today's episode, we have my good friend, Anya Marina. She is a singer-songwriter, an actor, a radio personality, the star and co-writer and producer of an award-winning web series, Anya Marina, Independent Women. She's freaking hilarious. I love her so much and so do a lot of other awesome people. (laughs) In fact, you can find her weekly with the comedian Nikki Glazer. She is on her radio show and podcast all the time. Uh, It was so fun to get into this conversation with Anya and track her journey from becoming an on-air radio DJ to then becoming a musician herself and to writing songs that have been on hit TV shows and movies and just her everyday journey with life. Let's get to it. Before I hit record, I was like, oh, I'm kind of a little nervous that I wasn't until right then because, yeah, I was like, Miss, I was like, I called you Miss Microphone. I don't think I qualify for that title, but I'll take it. But how much of your life has been like, I jokingly, especially for singers, will be like, oh, you know how to like talk in the mic. Let's make sure. But you were a radio DJ. I was you a radio are a DJ. singer. Yeah. You've been podcast host. You That's now true. are regularly on what? On Sirius XM. XM. Yeah. On You Up with Nikki Glazer <laughs> every Tuesday. I'm the gal Tuesday. I don't know what I'm called. But yeah, Tuesdays. That's been fun. I guess I know how to work a mic a little bit. Like that's a lot of (laughs) careful. You at one point were also an actress. Yes. Yeah. I just finished a web series about my life again. Yeah. Yeah, that was really fun. I forget that I'm acting though. Someone recently that I was dating was like, "I watched your web series, and um, it'd be really interesting to see how season two would go if your character wasn't so mean." I'm like. Uh, was I mean? I'm like, I'm playing, I'm mean, I'm basically me 10% meaner and less socially aware. I'm like a, a Michael Scott version of myself, which is hard to play, but um, not that hard. <laughs> He's like, it'd be cool if your character wasn't such an idiot. I'm like, okay, we're finished dating now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you don't ignore. That's kind of like the way her character, the character is, is the point of the character. Yes. Though, right? <laughs> She's definitely uh, revealing the uh, ridiculous things about life and maybe the unfair things in the music industry and some sexism and some of the patriarchal norms and things like that that we find in society by being kind of an, a Michael Scott from The Office or like a slightly amplified more egotistical version of myself. <laughs> yeah. Which it's I, been really fun. <laughs> I love that show. It's Is, called, are you doing more? Yeah, it's called Anya Marina, Independent Woman. It's about me getting dropped from my record label, which really did happen. And the ironic thing is that uh, the guy who pitched it to me worked for 
basically my parent company of my old record label. And I was like, well, are you sure that they would want to do this? And he's like, yeah, they want online content and we want to do a whole show about you. And I was like, okay. So like, great. Sort of the label that dropped you yes. was then like, hey, do you want to make a series making like fun of or whatever? Like, or yeah, talking about how independent artists get dropped. <laughs> yeah. And it, they were so generous and like, let us film there. We filmed at the place. It was great. And then many of them have written to me since it ended and have said like, hey, I love the show. Even the guy who dropped me. And we acted out the scene of him dropping me in the show. And he called, he like sent me an email and was like, great job on the show. I'm like, thanks for the inspiration. Now I want to rewatch the whole thing now that I know that it's even more like the exact. It's very meta. It's very meta. It was so fun. Yeah, they were great sports though, but they'll write me and be like, oh my God, loving the web series. Can't wait for more. I'm like, yeah, great. Me too. Can I get an advance on my next record? No. It's been great. It's been really fun. We won a couple of awards. We got nominated for a bunch of things. And then when I get home, we're going to the New Jersey Web Fest. We got nominated for a few things there, too. Kate Walsh, uh, the actress, was in an episode. I develop, my character develops a rash and is, yes, it's true. Now I'm realizing there are idiotic parts of my character's personality. She rushes to her friend Kate Walsh's house to get her opinion on a rash and Kate Walsh has to explain, Kate Walsh from Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice has to explain to my character that she's not a doctor. She just played one on TV. So yeah, <laughs> madness ensues. It's fun. <laughs> and the episodes are only like five minutes each. So yeah, it's fun, nice, fun and quick to watch. Light, funny watch. Okay, let's talk with, like, I know you first as being a radio DJ, which I don't think I actually knew you as a radio DJ. But before that, even, were you trying to be an actress? Or not trying. That kind of sounds like an insult. No, no, <laughs> that's, not, that's very accurate. That's very accurate. I mean, that was my first love when I was little. I remember, like, writing a letter to Walt Disney when I was five and saying, I'd like to be in your movies. And oh they, my God. Sent, they sent me back a packet of stickers and a really nice letter that said, get an agent and maybe you can apply for... That's cute, though. Film roles, yeah. They were kind of like educating, well, child, you can. Yeah. <laughs> you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, but yeah, then I got into college radio. I tried acting for a good year when I was like 20 years old. I moved to L.A. I think I dropped out of college for a year and was like, I'm going to try acting. And realized quickly how ill-equipped I was. I had no confidence. There was so much rejection. I... Gave it my all, but like landed one role in radio, which was funny. I got like a radio commercial for for STDs or something oh, like. <laughs> I can't remember. It was like uh, some radio ad for sexual, like sex ad, or I forget what it was. But I was like, well, maybe I have a good voice, and I can just like focus on that. And uh, kind of came home with my tail between my legs. Finished my degree in English and writing and got really into college radio at my university up north in Northern California. And then um, just got into radio. I got my first job in San Diego, just around here. When you were saying you got into radio, though, that doesn't mean like you got into listening to music on the radio. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I became a phone operator at the local radio station in San Jose. So like if people call in yeah. to like... And I'd be like, 98.5 KOME. That was the station KOME. K-O-M-E. 
come. So you, that was like your first job was just answering the phone. Yeah. And then you just like were there at the radio station, enjoyed the vibe and stuff. Yep. I used to intern for, or not intern, but I was like the phone op for this guy whose name is No Name. He's now on Alice in San Francisco. He's become a huge radio person. Or wait, I don't remember if he's on Alice, but he's in the Bay Area. I forget. I think he's on, I can't remember the station, but he's great. He was my mentor. And he was like, dude, you're great. You need to like, on your off hours, when you're done answering phones for me, go in the other room, go in the studio and make fake radio shows and then make a demo and send it out. And I was like, okay. I did whatever he said. That's so awesome. He was so encouraging. And that's what I did. And I sent a demo out and Mike Halloran, who at the time was known for being on 91X and he was like this radio renegade host and he would have these crazy shows with like Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth coming in or Frank Black from the Pixies would come in and like take over the radio station for a half hour, an hour and play whatever they wanted. And there was an article in Rolling Stone and this is in like the early 90s, I think, or late 90s. And um, I read about that in Rolling Stone. I'm like, I want to work for Mike Halloran. So I sent him a demo. I got a call. And he was like, yeah, come down here. Let's do an interview next week. I'll put you on the air maybe if you're good. I liked your tape. Wow. And I drove nine hours to San Diego, had an interview. He's hired me for eight bucks an hour. I worked four hours a week. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was so broke. And so was that that four hours a week? And what were you doing on? It was like on maybe his I worked show? six hours a week, or maybe I worked twelve. I worked overnights. I think I did like midnight to six, maybe Friday and Saturday nights. So maybe I worked twelve. So you had like your own. I would play pre. I, they would give me a playlist. It was not as glamorous as I thought. They'd be like, play these twelve songs, talk three times an hour. It was pretty pretty incredible at the time i was so excited and so nervous i'm sure my first air check tapes were like hey it's anya you're listening to you know <laughs> i got a job at 92.5 san diego's independent radio that's what it was called and we had a really small signal but it was a cool station it was like an indie station halloran was no longer at 91x he was at this new station and yeah, and then we promptly got bought out by this company called JCore, which is now Clear Channel, and you know they got pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that was my first job, and I just and then I worked in radio for ten years in San Diego, off and on. And That's I, pretty amazing yeah. how quickly, like you know, and also that the guy at the station up north was like, put a yeah, like just make up pretend shows and like do that. Would you have ever? have no. thought to do that if someone had told you not told you to no that's why i think having someone in your life that's like encouraging and kind of gives you the confidence you might not have is so important mentors are so important i mean i remember smoking cigarettes being 25 i ha i graduated from college kind of late and i was just loafing around my parents house living there smoking cigarettes and like I got my degree and I'm just like writing a novel on my parents porch on my laptop and just smoking away and I remember my dad walked by and he's like he patted me on the back and he goes there's my BA girl because I had just got my bachelor of arts and I remember being so pissed like oh he's being so passive-aggressive he's like hinting that I should get out of his house <laughs> it's like yeah you should you're 25 smoking and you have no job and no prospects but that's when I was working as the phone operator and 
Mike Nelson, who is also known as No Name, that guy, my mentor, he goes, yeah, send your tape out. Send it out to San Diego. Send it to every radio station in the U.S. You should be working in like Peoria, you know, or somewhere. Get a job. And I was like, I have no intention of moving to some little podunk city. And I got so lucky that Halloran in San Diego liked my tape and he offered me a job. And I remember I came home from that interview that I told you about. I drove nine hours back home and I told Mike, my mentor, they offered me a job, but it's like 12 hours a week for eight bucks an hour. I'm not taking that. I mean, I have free rent at my parents' house and I can smoke all the cigarettes I want. (laughs) And he was like, are you insane? You just got offered a job in San Diego. That's market 14. That is so that's unheard of for a first job. And he goes, honestly, I'm like getting, you know what I would do? Pack a bag, get in my car, say bye to my parents and leave. And he just gave me like tough love that I needed at the time. And he like, I got off the phone, I packed a bag. I told my parents I was taking the job and I left and I never came home again. It was great. That's so <laughs> awesome. So then in radio, that was still like pretty new to you. Were you then like, as your career grow, were you like, wow, I love this. Like, this is where I meant to be. Or did for definitely for the first, I mean, five or six years, that was it. I was just obsessed with radio. Um, I would obsessively write out my breaks. My breaks are like when you talk. Um, and then I got better and I, we would have little parties like the DJs in town at competing stations. We would be friends. And oh, so after cool. we got off work, like people from competing stations and I would get together and we'd just hang, hang out after work and play our air checks and be like, whoever wins, the, like we'd play them on a cassette tape. I remember uh, Muckley from 91X, who's now at KCRW in LA. We'd have him and this guy, Maddie, um, Maddie Keating. He was at 92.5 with me, I think. We'd play our air check tapes and whoever's break would win would drink or something I, for this is when i drank back years ago so it's like the best yeah the like best said the break. best stuff or whatever yeah whoever was the most clever or and you guys would like vote yeah it was totally arbitrary but i remember it was like muckley always won because he had the most experience he was the most clever he would always put in a little bit of news maybe like oh if you like that then did you know that so-and-so is playing whatever festival and um, and we'd just be like, wow, he's so good. So we were, I was just obsessed with radio for years. And then how did that make you feel it? Cause then even like, you're so new, you start doing this. I'm guessing doing it in the middle of the night sort of helps your nerves a little bit. Yeah. Like, what am I saying? But then you're like going out and playing like that. I would make up like so many like doubts and fears. Or is it just cause everybody was so like, just excited to be in it that they weren't like, you're terrible. But they were like, oh, like, you know, did you guys have like some sort of camaraderie that even like, instead of like being hurtful to each other like even if yours was like the worst then you were like supporting yeah each other. we were really they were very supportive i was new in town and they were just like they kind of took me under their wing and i think that, and also i had natural talent i think i was pretty good at just like winging it and being personable um and they were just sweet yeah they were nice it wasn't competitive it was more just fun and then um i really got into the local music scene and I as I got more comfortable with radio I started to become friends with more musicians and taking more initiative I think to like let's do a local music show or let's interview bands and like bring them in and Halloran and I bounced around the guy that hired me um 
we, you know, we'd get laid off from one station, then he'd get a job at another one and bring me in. And then soon I became like the nighttime girl and I had a regular shift and it was a full-time job. And I'd do like Monday through Friday plus a Sunday local show or something at this station 92.1, which was in North San Diego. And yeah, I think, and then I started going to shows more and becoming friends with more musicians, all the while slowly writing my own songs. I was also like doing that on the side. I had written a couple songs and was was starting to play out. That's actually when I met Jason, our mutual friend, Jason Mraz. And I met him at Java Joe's. And like I would play gigs on the weekends as a musician. And um, what inspired that? Like, I mean, I guess earlier you were saying too. I mean, you studied writing. You were writing a novel at mm-hmm. one point as you smoked a bunch of cigarettes <laughs> yeah. at your parents' house. So, was songwriting something you had like always done, or because now you're like more immersed in music, you're like, oh, I'm going to try this. Like, d- did you just start th- it, or did you have some more intention? Like, oh, it'd be fun to play my own music. It's weird. I can't even believe I'm a singer-songwriter because when I think back on how everything happened, it was such a, it seemed like such an accident. But my parents, it's, I guess it's not. My dad's musical and his, his whole side of the family is pretty musical. And then my mom's grandfather in Russia was actually a composer. But I didn't start writing songs consciously. I would write little ones when I was little all the time, like melodies. But I, it was more like a boyfriend you know, when I was like 20, said, hey, you should sing on this song. He was a musician. And then I'd do that. Or uh, I think when I was 22, uh, this band heard a a demo tape that I had done, that song that I sang with my boyfriend. And they were like, you're going to be the singer in our band. So I was in a band for a couple of years in the Bay Area. So I slowly, you know, I was writing it was like part of your life early on, but maybe you weren't it was just sort of like happening, but you were like, oh my God, yes, this is it. I'm meant to be in a band. You're just like, oh, okay, yeah, and I'm in my early 20s and I'm in a band and this is fun. Yeah, I was like a lyricist and a vocalist first. I hadn't touched an instrument really. And so I was in that band singing and writing lyrics terribly, <laughs> by the way. And then a boyfriend gave me a guitar. And I mo- when I moved to San Diego, I brought the guitar with me. And I would just write, like I had two or three little songs that I would play to myself. And I remember seeing Jewel in concert once and Liz Fair opened, or Liz Fair was playing and Jewel opened. And I loved Liz Fair's music so much. I was obsessed with Exile and Guyville. And then I saw this woman, Jewel, and she was so funny and so engaging. And her voice was incredible, of course. So I'm like, I've fallen in love already with Liz Fair and her whole style. And then there's Jewel who's doing this thing that Liz Fair's not really doing, which is these little anecdotes in between the songs. And I remember being so struck by that. And I had this moment that I've never forgotten where I got goosebumps during the show. And I was like, I want to do that. So it wasn't even so much of like her performing the beautiful songs, but it was like the in-between of like her whole performance. Exactly. It was like, oh, she's melodic. She's writing these touching songs. She's got a beautiful voice. I knew very well that I did not have a jewel type voice. I have like a softer, more Liz Fair type voice that's like less classically perfect and more conversational and more like like a lo-fi indie rock voice, you know? And yet Jewel had this thing that that I I knew I had the thing Jewel had that Liz didn't have maybe, but now I, I actually just right. saw Liz recently. It was sort of like cracking does. maybe like your idea open of like, oh, I love Liz Ferris. So that means 
musicians like Liz Fair are like this, whatever in your mind you thought it was. And then like, oh, you can write these beautiful songs and do this. Like, you and know, be sort entertaining of like, and, and right. like very honest. Like Jewel wasn't so much a comedian at all. She was just so comfortable and she was telling very honest stories in a really relaxed way. And she just had the audience, man. She had them in the palm of her hand. And it was very touching and very funny. It was like all of these feelings at once. And I felt like, I don't know what this is, but I want to do it. And I didn't know it was possible to do. And that's when I bought a four track and I started playing around with songwriting and recording. And I was like, I like the sound of these recordings. I'd actually (laughs) listened to these maybe. like So I slowly started finding my voice. And then as I was working full time in radio... Um, I met another person who became really important to me, and he ended up being a boyfriend of mine. But Steve Poltz, he was a songwriter and a singer in San Diego. And we started dating, but I remember him saying, like, this isn't, these aren't just like bedroom songs. You should be playing in a cafe or like go to an open mic. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'd be way too nervous. This is just a private thing. And just like Mike, my first mentor, he was like, you're going to get a gig this weekend. We're going to go to Java Joe's and you'll go do three songs in a row. Come on, you can do it. Pick a cover song, learn a cover song, and then do two originals. And I did. And my voice was shaking. And I remember I was just like, it was the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> but I got through it. And then it was like, oh, cool. I want to do that again. It was There was something so thrilling about it. And did the I want to do that again come from not even like the audience's reaction, but just like the feeling inside, even though you were so scared of like, oh, but this is right, even though I'm so nervous or so like. It was like, this is a challenge that I actually met. And that was thrilling to me that I could get through it and that it wasn't so much the audience response. I don't even think the audience responded particularly (laughs) well. It was more like. Like I ran a marathon and I could, didn't think I could. Like I did it. I really did it. I want to get better. Right. And that your general curiosity of like, I want to get better Like, because I'm enjoying this. Like, So that's what I'm saying. Like they probably, who knows what the audience was doing, but it was like you inside being like, oh yeah, this speaks to me, even though I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. what It's some mysterious thing, right? Like what yeah. does keep us keep us going and I am not a super ambitious person but then I have people in my life that are like what are you talking about you are you get lots of shit done you're like productive I just I guess I don't identify so much as that or your idea of ambitious is different is much different like I'm like I'm sure everybody would know you that's why I was like you said that and I laughed and you're like what (laughs) Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah. It's I like think you I'm can be ambitious, but also with... maybe live a more relaxed lifestyle. I yes. don't know. It's like, yeah, I'm your comparing idea of ambitious myself. Is like, ah, look. <laughs> yeah, like a workaholic, crazy. That's not me. But I, I get enough done to be happy. But it is, I do need those people in my life that light the fire under me a little. Cause I think left to my own devices, I'm a little bit more, I don't know what the vata pita thing is in Ayurvedic. But I'm the one that's like the cow in the field that grazes forever. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm good. (laughs) But I need someone in my life that's like, hey, let's go. You know, say yes to the job. The things in you Mm -hmm. to like poke you along. And the people in my life tend to be that way. They're more fiery personalities. And I'm, I don't know, I don't know anything. I'm a Libra. I don't know what that, but I'm the more, is it air or something? I'm not. 
yeah. earth mm-hmm. i have no I'm idea i'm trying to, i'm like i'm not i love all of that stuff but i don't my memory doesn't like yeah. retain it they're like oh i'm so much a libra and i go great i have no idea what you mean no clue like, what you mean i'm such a gemini cool you're like i just would like to have lunch soon sometime that's all i'm thinking about it's like i totally believe in all that stuff but my brain just doesn't like yeah but you know what I mean? Like a more fiery personality or more like yeah. a, a doer or an action person. I like to have a couple of those around. I notice that I gravitate. Yeah, I'm like that. thinking of you. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I feel that does, <laughs> like that you have those people. If I'm life. around too many people like me, it's like. You're just like sinking into the couch. Yeah, we're just all <laughs> chilling out. And I'm like, you're driving me nuts, man. <laughs> all right. So then you're in radio. Radio career is doing well. Mm-hmm. You're loving it still i'm assuming but then you also are realizing this new passion for singing and doing songwriting how long how does that transition happening and was it take a while for you to then end up leaving radio yeah that's a great question it was it was interesting i had i remember this guy i know really well oh i remember him saying you need to leave radio you're at this point i had recorded an album i think and i had been playing gigs regularly on weekends and I think I had even gone on tour a couple times like for Were a you week signed or did you no. so you put out your own album and you're getting yourself on yeah tours I think or... I put out an EP okay and then I ha- I was like working on an album or something and I was like you need to quit just quit come on don't be such a coward quit he would like bully me and I'm like I'm not calm down I need to like make this leap when it's ready I'm not that you know, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to making big decisions. So I'm not leaving my 401k and only, you know, the cushiness of just to like go go on the road. You know, I'm, at that point, I was like, I'm too old for this. It's also, I'm assuming you still are enjoying doing yeah, radio. So you're not like, oh, I'm slowly dying in my full time job. Right. And I have this passion. Yeah. And then I think about eight years into my tenure radio career, it started to hurt. Like something started to feel painful where I was going into work and I just wasn't giving it my all. I was fantasizing about being on the road. I was fantasizing about being signed. I started being grumpy and I was just like, I have so much to be grateful for here, but I feel like I'm outgrowing this or I'm not happy and I know my attitude is bad. And I kept trying to adjust my attitude to be happy at work, but I wanted to be spending more time in the studio. I made a record I really liked. I, I got a, that's what it was. I remember the tipping point. I got a song synced. So I got a license in Grey's Anatomy. And it was my first record called Miss Halfway. They used the title track in the season finale. They used like a minute and a half or something of my song. And the woman who put me in Grey's Anatomy, her name's Alex Patsavas. So she started, there were rumblings that she was going to start a record label. But she had put my song in her show. And all of a sudden, I got this pretty big check. And I was like, whoa, wait, this is this could be something. And um, and then she was just very, very encouraging and loved my stuff and kept putting my music in her shows. And then I remember I was like, maybe I could quit a full-time day job and make money at this other thing, you know, music. What would that be like? And I remember like another really important moment was seeing a friend of mine, Tristan, Tristan Prettyman was on tour. And she was, I remember seeing in the paper, like some weekly that she was doing a sold out tour, sold out House of Blues tour opening for somebody. And I was like, so jealous. (laughs) And I was like, I was so jealous. And I was at work on the air 
at 94.9, I was just like seething with jealousy, just like, why is she on, you know? And I remember thinking like, hold on, hold on. What is this feeling? This is envy. Okay, this, why don't you look at your life? (laughs) And if you really, really want to be doing what she's doing, what steps are you taking to get there? Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting because I was like, oh, it's causal. Like, I am here because I chose to be here. Yeah. If I want to be there, I can take steps to be there. Do I have the courage to take those steps? Or is like, so the envy was really powerful. It was like a gift. I think, no, that's amazing that you saw that. Cause that's what I like. That's, I even, you know, I have my I Call Bullshit series. And mm-hmm. that's like one I of the that. steps for me for like, I call bullshit on feeling jealousy or envy. And that is one is that someone else having what you want is an affirmation that it's possible. Like, holy shit, Tristan uh, is on a sold out tour. Then that means it could be possible for me. But then also like calling myself into action. Like if I'm jealous of somebody else that's doing what I want, I guess it's, be- it's probably because they're doing something yes. to put themselves out there. Or like, yeah, so what can I? So it's like seeing, okay, great. Awesome for them. Celebrate them. That means it's possible. And then also like, well, what can I, if that's what I want, then what am I doing to get there? Yeah, it was a real light bulb <laughs> So that's moment. amazing that you saw all that. It was, I know, because usually I would not have that awareness. <laughs> I don't know what happened in the moment. I remember reading this book that this guy, um, do you remember the band Galaxy 500 or Luna? It sounds familiar. It was like in the 80s, I think, and 90s. Anyway, this guy, Dean Wareham, wrote this book called, that I was reading at the time. It was his memoir. And in it, he said, when he was thinking about breaking up his band, he, it was so painful for him. And he was like, I just couldn't stop obsessing about what it would be like to like break up the band. It was, and he goes, that's when you know you have to make a change when you can't think of anything else. Something like that. I'm parsing Got his it. words. But I remember knowing it was time to quit my job when I couldn't think about anything else. It was just an obsession. All day long, I'd be on the radio and I would just be thinking like, I wish I was in the studio. I wish I was on tour. I wish I wasn't here. And it actually became physically painful and like mentally painful. And then I'm like, you got to just like take the leap. You can't. You have a great job and you're not happy here and it's nobody's fault but your own. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then right then I got signed. I got a record, an offer for a record deal and it just all came at the right time. I was making this other album, funding it myself. And I was like five songs in and I sent the five songs to Alex Patsavas. She loved them. And we went to, I played a show in LA. She said, I want to take you to brunch. Next day I went to brunch. I got wasted at brunch Totally missed that she offered me a record deal oh my God. over brunch. I was like... I so she did end up starting her own label. Yes. Yes, which I had heard a rumor about. I remember. I was like, that's why I don't drink anymore. I was like, I was just missing was signals like, wait, did you like leave the brunch with a regular deal and you didn't know? Yes. Like she like emailed you like, great, so yes. glad to have you on board. <laughs> Literally at brunch, she goes, so do you have a lawyer? And I go, yeah. And I'm lying. I'm like... I think I could get a lawyer. I know a guy who's sort of my lawyer. He's helped me like twice with some legal stuff. And I go, yeah, I do. I do. And she goes, great. And I go, do you? (laughs) She's like running a huge company. She's like, yeah, I I actually do. And then she goes, well, why don't I introduce my lawyer to your lawyer? And I thought she thought they should be friends. (laughs) I don't know what... I was so, so naive and or tipsy. I'm just like, oh, because lawyers should know each other. I was like, great. 
And then I remember walking to the car, sorry, weaving to the car in my high heels. Why do you wear high heels to a brunch? I don't know. And I remember thinking, dude, I think you just got offered a record deal. Like, at least I had <laughs> some presence of mine. Hey, players. <laughs> yeah, and Monday morning I got I got the contract. And then I quit through a veil of tea. I remember, like, crying and my, my boss he was so sweet. He goes, listen, if you don't, if you weren't quitting, I would fire you because if you, because you need to, that's not how he said it. He said something like, if you didn't leave to take this opportunity, like I would have to let you go because you need to do this for yourself. And you'll always have a job here. It's an open door. We love you, but you got to do this. Like you'll always wonder what if, if you don't do this. So he like helped me quit. That's awesome. That <laughs> was great. He's he's a good guy too. I've had a, I've been lucky in life to have good people around. But yeah, and then then I became that was I think ten years ago or something, and I've been a professional musician, I guess, <laughs> since. Hey, it's me, Trisha, giving you a brief interruption because it's November. And I don't know about you, but I always say I'm gonna do my Christmas giving shopping early. And then I usually like Christmas Eve, I'm like, oh, right. So I'm bringing that to your attention right now. And I'm going to give you a special deal. I'm giving you a discount code for my affirmation-based product line. Go to shop.yourduologist.com and you can save 25% on the entire store by using the code CLAIMIT25. Get a head start on your shopping. Buy the affirmation deck, a Let That Shit Go journal. The keychains, you know, you could buy a keychain for all your best friends, your coworkers, family members. They're only $8, even less when you use the 25% off coupon. Magnets, notepads, wine glasses. I got all sorts of products. I mean, who doesn't want a little dose of inspiration? And there's everything from everything is going my way, see the good to fuck your fears. So I know there's a message in there that will resonate with people in your life. All right. <laughs> so go to shop.yourdrowsgist.com and use the code CLAIMIT25. That code will not expire until Christmas Day. So get a head start on your holiday shopping. Claim it 25 at shop.yourdrowsgist.com. Let's get back to the episode. Oh, I mean, you can buy gifts for yourself too, <laughs> in case you didn't think about that. <laughs> All right, back to Anya. I'm wondering, since you're like so into the music industry and, and DJ, and then you're like interviewing these major musicians and stuff too, right? You said you yeah. started doing that. How did that affect you then showing up as a musician? Like, were you, did you get in your head or like, how did you get around to like letting yourself have a chance? You know, because I could imagine like you could get trapped in a comparison somewhat. Yeah, that's true. Or did you not? <laughs> well, that's such a good question. Like, I like to always bring up sort of shadowy things because like that's human. Everybody sort of is like, and everything was great. But like we all struggle. Oh, no, I felt totally inadequate because I was like, now I'm on the other side of things. And I struggled for a while with making that transition because when you're a radio DJ, you're sort of in a power position like hey, welcome to our station. We're yeah. playing you. Great to have you're you. You're so lucky. Yeah, in a way. I mean, like, you're yeah. you're sort of like... You're excited to meet them. Yes, but like, and they're like the stars, but it's your job to... I don't know, it's your job to like... It's just like 
I don't know. You're you're in a bit of a comfortable position because you have these questions and then you ask the band this stuff and then your job is sort of over. But when you're the artist, I felt this weird pressure to like be different or like have a different person. Like if this makes sense, I remember thinking, oh, I have to be mysterious now or I have to be, because as a DJ, you're like, hey, I'm the host. I'm entertaining you. I'm driving the car. Right. I've got like you have to be in control as a radio DJ. You're like, here's what we're playing this hour. Call in. Like you you have to have a confidence. As an artist, I was used to all these artists coming in with sunglasses and they like smell like smoke and like smell like BO because they've been on the road for, and they can just they have the luxury of being sort of grumpy and moody <laughs> and hey, like one word answer. So many bands we interviewed would just be like, yes, no, <laughs> I don't know. And it's like, oh, you get to be a rock, like a moody rock star now. So then were you sort of like, so great. So I need to like fit myself into this moody rock In a weird way. I mean, I've never talked about this or even thought about it too much. But yeah, I remember when I first got signed feeling like, oh, I can't just walk in and be like, hey, guys, how's it going? Let me like read you my resume and be really engaging and be a great interview. I felt like that was somehow not cool. Which is funny because then, like, you fell in love with Jewel. Who was so. Yeah. Enga- yeah. It took me a while to realize I don't have to put on some artificial bullshit mask and be someone I'm not. I also don't have to be this. Maybe the radio host thing was a little bit fake too, because it was a little too like, hey guys, welcome. You know? Right. And then I could, I really felt like more myself as an artist because I was just talking and probably a person yeah I felt like, like this like I'm guessing you like had to like be like okay so now I'm an artist Anya what does yeah. that look like maybe do this or do this and then like sort of like re-uncovering oh hey here I am yeah I remember like wearing I mean you have to in a way be a character on stage I remember doing like face paint for a while I got into doing like little uh, what do you call it like like a gold line on my cheek or like I'm sure I was ripping that off from somebody else like Sia or someone I don't know I forgot who did that. But um, but yeah, like finding creative ways of expression on stage and being like, I can't just walk on stage in jeans and a t-shirt. I guess I could, but sort of experimenting with now I have to be this character in a way. I don't know how like right. Katy Perry, Katy Perry used to play Hotel Cafe with an acoustic guitar and jeans and a tank top, but now she's this thing, this cool like cartoon character, Katy Perry yeah. with 10 costume jeans. Do you feel like that's more something put on with women than men too? Like with men, it's like, yeah, they definitely have wardrobe choices and you can see people like play that out more. But I yeah, think like there's way more pressure. Jeans yeah. and t-shirt. But yeah, like a female yeah. performer, musician, it does. It feels like, okay, even like I'm sure comedians must go through the same sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Too. Friend- I mentioned that because you're good friends with some amazing comedians. And it's just sort of like because we perceive people like, oh, they're wearing a this or they're wearing this outfit. So like our minds take in information and we sort of make up who we think that person is. And so you're sort of trying to mold. Oh, like I'm dark and mysterious or I'm sweet with my, yeah. you know, like flowery dress on. I'm down to earth. Like it's. Yeah. I like- always think about Emily Haynes. Do you remember the band Metric? You know the band Metric? Yeah. So Emily Haynes is the singer. She's got a great voice. And my voice is kind of in the same family. I used to love Metric. But I remember seeing Metric live, and they always had, like, really cool rock outfits. And, like, I remember interviewing them, too, on the radio. But they were, like, a cool rock band. 
you know, she would wear like a silver onesie and these white high heels and, you know, be just like a rock star on stage, like Shirley Manson from Garbage too. Then I remember Emily Haynes did a couple solo EPs and I saw her in LA and I was so struck by the change. And she obviously thought about this. On her solo tours, she would always wear like a big hoodie and just like jeans. And she was like, Emily Haynes. But then as metric, it was makeup, hair, sparkles, like light show, glitter. I mean, it was it was totally different. So it was really interesting. So I played around a little bit with that. But yeah, Nikki Glazer always talks about, she's talking a lot about this now. And I love it because it's what opened my eyes up to the hypocrisy in a way, like between yeah. being a male artist and a female. And of course, this is a total generalization. There are lots of men and non-binary people, I'm sure, who like feel pressured to have lots of outfit changes and maybe even wear makeup or whatever, or spend a bunch of money on outfits. But by and large, if we're just being general, and Nikki's talked about this a lot, I love it. There's so much pressure, even just for her, for a female comedian, uh, like spray tans, because she has to be on TV, like hair, makeup, sitting in a chair at a nail salon for two hours you know, a couple times a week, all right. this shit that goes into like her having to do she's like a Netflix a female special. to be like, yeah, like more presentable for this thing. Whereas a dude is like, could be like grizzly face, not yeah. shaven, a bad haircut, old t-shirt and jeans and no problem. Yeah. There's a comedian, a guy comedian right now that has a billboard out and it's just a close up of his belly. <laughs> and that's the, and she was like, that's his billboard and I love him. And she's like, but I, my billboard, they encouraged me to like, be in uh be naked <laughs> and she's like i agreed mind you i agreed but like naked in one shot and then in another shot like wearing a really cute pinup outfit but she's like that took so many hours and so much money out of my own pocket i had to pay for the, the spray tan the nails the hair crew the makeup crew the stylist thousands of dollars and she's like i can't just do a billboard with my belly <laughs> that's not my brand so it's interesting to think about but yeah, it's interesting because it's also like, where are we like, it's like our natural, like I said, our minds are making these things up. Because even you mentioned like non-binary, do they feel pressure to like wear makeup and stuff like that? Where I actually, the other day, I was in a hotel with my kids and there was a big convention going on at the same hotel we were staying at. And we were in an elevator and everybody has their badges on for this convention. And there was someone who had a tag on their badge that said, no pronouns, please use my name. And because I'm like, oh, because I'm now like aware of people like don't want to be called him or her, use they or them, mm -hmm. whatever, that when I saw that, I was like, oh, interesting. And my mind immediately went into judgment because of what this person looks like that they didn't. I was like, does that mean they're non bi They identify like they are identifying as non-binary. Interesting because they don't look like what my idea is because of my idea of the non-binary people were men that were playing around with makeup and, you know, some days look like dressing like a male and some days dressing more like a female or yeah like more a female same thing some days they're playing up the women's side some days the men and so my mind went into naturally like well he's a lar he that person right is a larger person wearing khaki pants and an old t-shirt like Presenting it was interesting male. that my mind started to like I don't understand I was just like because that's our just our minds like naturally then like if Nikki was like well fuck that and like I don't want to wear makeup and have messy hair or whatever would that like mean people will be like oh i bet she's not funny because she doesn't take care of herself like i don't know like you know yeah you really can't know <laughs> oh you, you, you can't it's so interesting i love the time we're living in 
It's an interesting time, and it's it's helpful to have that attitude of curiosity yeah. that you're talking about. And I catch myself doing that a lot too, like being in judgment or and then switching to, well, maybe if I'm more curious about even my own thoughts about myself or my own judgments about myself, maybe if I can have this attitude of curiosity, like, oh, it's interesting, you're getting really resentful about, you know, having to buy a bunch of outfits for this tour or whatever. That's interesting. Having an attitude of curiosity rather than judgment, you know? Yeah. But I don't know if I answered your question about the, the difference between being an artist and a radio person. That was Well, a, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we went into a, a fun path at work, but detail. just, yeah, like in sort of, um, yeah, so that was in figuring out yourself. But yeah, like I'm guessing then when you go, I'm recording album, I'm playing on bigger tours or I'm opening for people or whatever, like were you faced with the fears and doubts and how you got yourself like on stage and making the album if you got stuck into any sort of comparison or like, wait, what did I do? Oh. I'm not meant to be or. Yeah, so much. Oh my God, so much doubt. I was always like, whatever that imposter syndrome is, I had that a lot because I didn't, I couldn't play my instrument as well as I would have liked to. I wasn't somebody who learned how to play when I was six. I learned really late. Like I, I think I touched my first guitar at like 20 one twenty two, you know, which is kind of late, and I think I wrote my first real song around twenty three. So, um, but I had a lot of catch up to do, and it's really cool now. I've started taking guitar lessons. Oh wow! Yeah, I had a really good therapy session a few months ago, and we, she said something like I told I was talking about how it wasn't allowed to when I was growing up. Being famous was something that was really frowned upon. And it was just like a conversation in the house about how famous people are X, Y, or Z. Like famous people are fill in the blank, like vain, vapid, narcissistic. And in my childish mind, I heard success equals vanity, narcissism, bad. Mm. <laughs> so I was really getting in my own way so much with this fear of being famous or fear of being successful and so I would struggle with it. So I would do all, take all these steps towards success and then feel all this guilt for it. Or like sort of self-sabotage? Yeah. And then I would be like, well, I don't, I sh I'm not even really that good. Like I would have this inner dialogue. Like, who do you think you are getting on stage? Like, why do you need all this? Do you think you need attention? You need so much attention, really? It was like this negative voice. And I remember like I've heard friends talk about this, like struggling with, Fame and then finally being like, I'm allowed to be like, I'm allowed to take up space. I'm allowed to be famous. I'm allowed to be successful. And that was a real breakthrough for me, even just recently. And uh, I remember her telling me, why don't you just chew on this new awareness and think about what, how would you be freed up if you were allowed to be famous? If all the stuff you learned in your childhood was just a stumbling, like a roadblock, like how would you get freed up? And I remember saying, like, well, what if I don't even want to be famous now? Like, what if at this point in my life that doesn't concern me? And she's like, just da, 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 da. like, put that aside for now. Just meditate this week on what would it be like? How would I be freed up if I was allowed to be successful, allowed to be famous? And it wasn't seen as narcissistic, vain, or a sign of a selfish person right or like instead of thinking of like oh well look at me because i think yeah especially you keep saying like famous but i'm sure yeah it's really like successful or like allowed to like flourish without feeling like it has to be contained in some way or like you know because that's what it's like it's not necessarily like you're like seeking like fame like i want to be on the cover of every magazine or like whatever it's just sort of like 
to be able to do what you want to do, which is putting out music yes. or having amazing conversations and acting, making these crazy shows, crazy shows, funny yeah. shows or whatever, yeah. to like be able to do these things that bring you joy and you're good at without feeling like, oh, but there has to be a limit on it because who am I to be this, even though people are enjoying your voice or enjoying what you're putting out there. Yeah, it's really, it's really nuts how these subconscious beliefs hold us back. Because when I did that and I took her direction, my therapist, I noticed like, oh, I kind of want to take a guitar. Like I want to learn a couple songs on guitar. I want to learn some chords I've never learned. And now I'm a good guitar player. But, um, you know, like years, it's been years now uh, since I've been writing songs. And yeah, I changed. And not only did I start taking guitar and I learned a bunch of new chords and it's really fun, but I all of a sudden started enjoying playing. Like I used to always look at my guitar like it was an obligation. And it was like this reminder that I wasn't as good as my peers, which is just another made up thing that I held on to. But so that's been a new thing just in the last few months. Like, oh, I can play all these fun songs that I never knew how to play. Or I know all these new chords and I'm excited to learn. I'm excited to play. But also like changing my language. Like I used to say, like, I'm not, even earlier in this interview said, so I've been a full-time musician or whatever. Like, or whatever. Not musician that you had. <laughs> yeah. like, or whatever, because what do other people think of me? Yeah. yeah, like that may be too bold of a statement. Right. When you so are I'm working on those little things, like yeah. owning what I do and acknowledging like I am a great singer and I am a great songwriter, you know, and I have a unique voice. No, I don't have an Adele voice, but who gives a shit? Yeah. Like there's a market for me too. <laughs> exactly. There's a place for me too. Oh yeah, we only people can only be successful if they have the same voice as Adele. Like that would be so boring. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she has an amazing voice, but like everybody found it. I was doing this recording session last week and there was this one line that I every time we listen to the playback, I'd tell the producer, like, God, I that line, I can I just try it again? It's like it's not I'm not nailing it. And he was like, sure. It was the end of the day, it was a long day, and we were like, okay, take 10, take 15, take 20, take 30. And I couldn't, it was literally like four seconds and I couldn't get my voice to do what I wanted it to do. And I was so frustrated and I started crying at the end. And I was like, I'm sorry. And we kind of, finally at the end, we settled on something. And I was like, you know what? That's a, that's a B plus. That's good enough. I'm done. I got to go eat dinner. Great, great session. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow. And then I slept and I woke up in the morning and I listened to the old one that I hated and then the new one that I did that I was happy with. And like both were fine. And the the old one, I was actually like, you know what? That's not like a perfect in quotes performance, but it's actually perfect for the song. It's like right. emotional and sweet and it's a little, it's me. Like you hit it, even though you might not have hit the exact like notes you wanted to ever like that, like it really was like hitting the moment the best yeah. way or whatever. And it's like all I'm learning more and more about accepting myself, like radically accepting myself as I am. That's the key to happiness. It's like, I'm not going to nail that take the way that I want maybe, but like the take that I did was special and unique and it's great. And I wrote him back. I'm like, I'm so sorry to say this, but can you find the original take that I hated? Cause I actually love it. He's like, ha ha, okay. <laughs> sure he understood. And I love that you said that you're starting to like pay attention to your language and self-editing. That's something that I've done for a long time. And like, I would urge you to do it. Like when you hear yourself do it, to do it out loud 
because that helps me so much more when I do it out loud because I feel like the other person doesn't care. It, but it's a meme being like, because I will be like, oh, you know, this is like a past example. It was so silly, but we can get stuck in past versions of ourselves where I can be like, I know I'm so bad at hanging things straight. And but I realize I'm trying to like not do that. So like I would re-say that immediately and be like, in the past, I haven't been good at hanging things straight. Like the person I'm talking to probably doesn't care at all. But I've caught myself in, oh, you're putting yourself back there or down there or like whatever. So then you're saying like, oh, I'm using whatever to be like, you know what? No, I am using. So if anything, if you were like, that would just empower the other person be like, yeah, oh, wow, look at them. Like self-correcting. Yeah. And like owning what they actually were or like, so you're sort of like teaching people. And that for me, it helps a lot to like say it out loud. And even back in the day when I gave up the word should, Mm -hmm. you know, that was such a big thing. The reason it was so I actually was able to do it is because I would self-correct as it was saying, I should. Oh, wait, no. Let me re-say that. Like, I wouldn't let the whole word come out and I'd like wait to rephrase it and be like, I want. And I feel like that was why I was actually able to do it. And do it Because otherwise we can be like, noticing it after is still good to be like, oh, crap, I said this and I'm trying that. So that's still a good noticing. But like, if we always just try to save it for next time, it may never happen. I love that. I just heard someone the other day say that they replace should with could a lot and it helps them. Like I should wash the, I could wash the dishes like if I really want to do. That's an option for me. I could wash the dishes. Yeah, that's a, I'm all for any taking it out. Mine is usually replacing with one. I like that too. Because with that, it could be like, I don't want to wash the dishes. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask my partner too. I'm going to do this. Or you know what? I want a clean sink because I feel so much more relaxed and like everything's together when the dishes are clean. So. I want to wash the dishes and I get up and wash the dishes. Love it. Or I think I should do the dishes, but you know what? I'm really tired and they're going to be there tomorrow and I'm fine. So I'm going to wash them tomorrow when I want to. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Like, so it's just like noticing, well, what's the actual intention here? Because the energy of should is so heavy. Mm-hmm. Shoulding all, all over yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, then I I don't know. Uh, I feel like you've done so many like amazing different things with your career and even to like knowing you lived in LA and then oh I, feeling like called to Portland and then feeling called to New York City. Like what was that experiences like and like feeling this like desire then to move locations and trusting yourself that it was right? Thanks for your great questions. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you're such a good navigator and question asker. (laughs) Um, I was living in LA and I had just been signed and I was um, really overwhelmed and I didn't have very good tools for dealing with all of the sudden emails and demands of being a signed artist who is like a full-time artist living in LA next to her record label, like a 10 minute drive from the label. Cause I was just being asked to do a lot of interviews and all wonderful things. But at the time I felt so overwhelmed by it and I didn't have an assistant and I was getting like, I remember 330 emails a day or something that needed attention. And I was letting people down and not replying. And it was all so fast that, and I didn't like LA. I've never really liked LA. I mean, I like a couple people that live there. And I like a couple parks. Um, but by and large, it felt just like it was this, a work town. And I would, felt like I was working constantly. And I don't know. I didn't like the culture of it. And I went to Portland and I visited a friend. And I thought, I need to make a record in the city because I really liked 
the mood of it. And I rented a friend's apartment and it, I said, all I want is great coffee and great Wi-Fi. And I lived above one of my favorite coffee shops and I had great Wi-Fi. And I started making it a record and I just fell in love with the city. And I never came back to LA. I came back once to clear out my apartment. And um, it was the best decision ever. I made good friends. I got a beautiful little house that I still have. And um, I made a great record that I loved. And I met good musicians. And I made a record called Felony Flats, which is the name of a Portland neighborhood. And um, yeah, and then I lived there for a couple years. And it felt really right until, I don't know, just one day it didn't. And I went to New York and... I had had this vision board sort of, I, I think you had told me to make a vision board once. I don't know. Yeah, we were, it was probably after I, oh yeah, it was after I toured with Mraz. It was right around that time. And you told me like, why don't you make a list of what you want or what you see your life being? And I remember making this list of really weird stuff that I wanted. And I was like, I want to live in New York. I want to be friends with comedians. No way. I put that on my list. <laughs> I laugh because it's such a weird thing. <laughs> To say, but I was like, I just felt called. I was like, those are a lot of those people are my people. I, I feel like that makes sense with the like radio host person. I don't know. Yeah, it was just a weird thing to put on my list. Um, and I remember saying like, I want to do a TV show or I want to be, I want to act in something and I want to make more records and want to, I want to co-write a lot more. I want to like branch out as a writer and become a much stronger writer, write with other artists, write for other artists, write different types of songs for myself. And I want to get much better at like getting my songs licensed and film and TV. And I remember hearing something Mark Marin said in his podcast where he was like, one of the most important things is having clear self-awareness about your strengths and your weaknesses. Mm. And he said for him, he really started to take off in his career when he was really honest with himself about maybe his limitations as a comedian and his strengths as a storyteller and a podcaster and an interviewer. And he had always wanted to be more successful in this other realm. And he was like, look, man, that's not where your strengths are. Yeah, not like that being he's not, real with himself that yeah. like, maybe, yeah. I loved that, had this dream of like that happening and like these other things might be where it's at. Yeah, now he is successful as a stand-up, obviously, but like it was a sort of roundabout way to yeah. getting there. And, um, and he's known and maybe loved for the other thing more. Because he followed the easier flow of what was life she, yeah. and the river. And I remember thinking, like, I always wanted to be embraced by these cool indie rock magazines and blogs. And I just wasn't. I remember doing a co-write with, like, a cool indie rock guy. And I was like, now Pitchfork will love me and embrace me. And they didn't give a shit. They didn't <laughs> respond to the email. And I remember just being like, dude, where is the flow in your life? Where is the abundance? Where's the ease? It's in songwriting and like playing shows and being funny on stage and being real and entertaining. And like your songs end up in film and TV a lot. Which is amazing. It is amazing. And I've, I started to be like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, just keep doing that. And if the other thing happens by accident, great. And then I totally let go of that need or want of like to be embraced by this other community and um i started writing a lot and i moved to new york i did end up becoming friends with comedians that was a happy accident yeah, i feel like like 
all of your friends. In- <laughs> it was so weird. Amy Schumer comedians. came to a show in L.A. or something or reached out to me through a friend and, and said she loved my music and she loved this album that I made, the Miss Halfway album. She was like, I use your song Sociopath to walk on stage. No way. <laughs> yeah, and I was like that. And that was in 2005 or something that I wrote that song and she told me that in like 2012. Wow. And I was like, really? And she goes, yeah, you got to meet, you know, and she introduced me to Nikki Glazer, who became my roommate. Oh, so you met Nikki Glazer <laughs> through Amy Schumer? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's pretty epic. Yeah. And then I moved to New York and started to, um, you know, make records there and write a lot in Nashville. Worked with a good, lot of great writers there and just started to kind of play more and just have more fun with like, let's just play and write like a uh, like a pop song Let's so not play. be so attached to like okay i'm anya marina the musician now and that's like where i this, have to sell indie like, rock like yeah i look like this i perform these songs these are the magazines that embrace me and exactly. you're like waiting for that to happen and you're just like what if i just let myself yeah play or try some different things yeah and like kind of get over myself a little bit and then i ended up meeting nice great talented super talented people and i learned from every single session i did like Oh, that's how you write a quick bridge, or that's how you um, stop overthinking about finding the perfect word and just like get through the song. You know, in Nashville, that's the city where they do like two a days, which means you write two songs a day. So some people have two or sometimes three sessions a day. Like, okay, ten a.m. to noon. <laughs> that's one or so ten. So they're to just two. like two a day. Then that seems like. We're we're just we're getting a song out of here. Like they're not attached to like the perfection or the like this is the essence of or whatever. Yeah, you don't like, have to write, you know, Joni Mitchell's Blue <laughs> like in in four hours, which is kind of liberating to just be like, okay, this is like a a factory, yeah, kind of um, assembly line almost situation. Like, let's just see what comes out and let's have a little fun and. I, to be honest with you, so many of those songs ended up on my releases, like the last few, just because it was, I think I got over myself and wasn't trying so hard. Yeah. When there's like less time to do it and it's like, otherwise it's like, okay, we have to make this beautiful song. We have as much time as we need. What's going to be like the special sauce perfectionism. And then it's like so much time is probably getting taken up with like playing around or this. We're just like, all right, let's shit out a song. And like, yeah. (laughs) I know. And that will and you like, don't have to use them either. You can yeah. just be like, okay, this is a garbage song. Which reminds <laughs> me of what what's his name with the song game? Were you part of the song? Yes, Bob Schneider. Bob Schneider. Yeah, I don't remember if we talked about that in Jason's episode, Jason Mraz's episode, because he's been part of Bob Schneider's oh, yeah. song he's game so on and good. off years. And what is the song? It's like every week. Why am I telling you? Tell me what it is. <laughs> Every week, Bob or somebody would come up. Usually, Bob would deliver the phrase and that you have to put into the song. And sometimes the phrase would be like, "I'll give you some examples that I've used: hot button, or ordinary dude, or shut up, or you know, give me resurrection." All those ended up being my like song titles that exist on a lot of people's records. But each week, those aren't <laughs> options. He sends you one, like. This, okay, this guys, this week, let's song. all make a song with hot button in it. Yeah. And so everybody's on the thing. And then you all make up a song, which is like home recording, whatever. Mm-hmm. It could be right. You're just like playing it into your iPhone, recording yep. it and then send it. And it's not like 
it's to do nothing except to write, keep you guys like keep yourself creative. Exactly. It's not like, yeah, like we're winning who got the best song or there's no whatever. feedback allowed. No feedback allowed. Which but you do a lot of people didn't like each other's songs. <laughs> yep. We all email each other the song. And I loved it. Some people I remember some I've left the game because it was so hard to keep up with uh, the output and Bob constantly bullies me <laughs> about that. To He's like, you can get back at any time, you lazy, lazy <laughs> person. Um, but yeah, some people, I mean, I don't know about a lot, but a couple of people were like, I don't like that there's no feedback. Like, I want to hear that right. I did a good job. <laughs> but <laughs> or, the point of it was to just like be creative and to not be so attached to like making the perfect song. Because yeah, like you said, you were like, okay, this is my, I gotta, whatever, make up a song with this this week, and then ended up being songs that you loved and put on albums. I think Jason, yeah. right, or I don't know if the whole songs, but like pieces of things and stuff like that, just sort of like, all right, let's make, we gotta make up this song, and then it's because there's not this like expectation. Yeah, there's a magic to that process, I think, because when you have some kind of construct or boundary, like you have seven days, that's your boundary seven days to do something and anything goes it could be a hip-hop song country song you could swear through the whole song it could be about a religious thing it could be about your mom it could be about anything go for it then you suddenly get freed up like oh all i have to do is turn something in by whatever it is i think it's like sunday at midnight or something and many times i would not make the deadline but whatever he'd, he'd still send it in and yeah, so many people's songs ended up on records. It's amazing. It was really a good practice. Do you do, so you don't do that so much anymore, but do you, what do you do now to like help yourself? Because it seems like you're very often like, oh, I'm recording with this person. I'm writing a song with this person. And is that more just for the joy of creating or you always have a project in mind? Like, what do you do these days to keep yourself like... Accountable or Not accountable, but just like the fact that you're like still like, oh yeah, I'm a musician, I want to do this, but maybe not like, or when you're in phases of like, I want to put out music, like to keep yourself making music without being like so stuck. Because I think a lot of artistic people, of writers, any of songs or anything, it's like, okay, I have to write, I have to write. And then it's like the fear of like it being great that then they don't do it at all. Yeah, <laughs> so I have, you- that's a good question. I mean, I'm always kind of writing or thinking like when is my next show or when it, I should be writing a song like I'm always thinking I should either be writing or playing or recording something so musically something has to be happening and then I also get like either depressed or like I have this like constipated feeling of like creative constipation or something if I'm not um working in some way or like creating something but I can easily be totally happy and not working for months. So that's why I have an action buddy. So I have somebody that I check in with really regularly and we'll talk about how we're kind of like feeling emotionally, what we're not talking about. Like we'll say, what do I not want to mention? And then I'll often say, well, I'm not doing, like I don't have any tour plans or I feel like I don't, I don't know what I'm doing work-wise right now. So it's a way to stay accountable and then we'll do an action plan. So I have this girl that I talk to regularly and she's my action buddy and and I'm hers. So I think I'd be lost without that. That's cool. Cause that's just like life generally. Mm-hmm. It sounds like not necessarily like how do you stay creative in like making music, but like, yeah, like check in. Yes. It's like a check in about like, how am I feeling today? What, what, 
like there's this thing called five minute journal too that yeah. you've heard of probably Kate Walsh let me um borrow her five minute journal once and it was it had these questions that I love and it said like at the end of the day you can say like what was amazing about today like three things and then what would have made it more amazing so sometimes I'll use that like or I'll do like a gratitude list like what I'm grateful for today and then maybe an action plan for tomorrow or um but yeah, I love to do it in the beginning of the day. I'll write what would make today great, like being on time for Trisha, <laughs> having lunch, being on time for my next thing. You know, that's like, awesome. Being it's hydrated, not like necessarily to do list, but like right, what would make it great? Yeah, I love that, and that's reminded me of two things. One, I first of all, I in Tristan's conversation, she mentioned that you're the one that gave her the advice that when she was on stage and being like oh, I messed that part up or like wanting to like talk that you were like the one to her like, hey, nobody like wants to hear <laughs> about like, you know, just like whatever happened or whatever, just like keep going or like sort of like that's sort of giving her advice of like, you don't need to apologize for something or, you know. That's great. You know where was, I got that was that's from what I was Steve. Steve Pohl's my first boyfriend. I remember I would play shows and I would go, sorry, I don't really play well, you guys. Thanks for being so patient with me. I screwed that chord up. And he was like, in a very gentle way, he basically alerted me to the fact that I was kind of being selfish because nobody, I'm making it all about me in that moment. And But he said it in a nice way. He was like, or a funny way. He goes, listen, if you tell the audience, here's a plate of shit, they're going to believe it's a plate of shit. But if you go, here's a plate of diamonds, they're going to believe it's a plate of diamonds. So just Act like, like, act as if you are the shit, not a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, and also it's like, I, yeah, it was sort of like, I don't know if she meant it too, but it's like, you're sort of like, you're thinking I'm apologizing. Oh, no, they must not be having a great, you know, I need to apologize because I'm not the best this or I messed up that song or my energy's low today, like whatever, guys. So like really you're bringing attention on, yes. like you're like actually by, by what you think is like, let me make sure everybody knows that I know this about myself or the experience. That you're like bringing the vibe down. Yes, <laughs> like, way down. You're like actually sucking joy out of the experience they could be having. By I like only see it. that as true when I'm in the audience and I see someone do it. And I'm always like, no, you don't have to do this, man. Like sometimes I'll see a performer I really like and they get distracted by a heckler or something. And then they'll go down this spiral of like, oh, I was having a great show, but you guys really, you know, you ruined it. And it's just like, oh, now you're ruining it for everybody. I used to also make this mistake a lot when I performed where if there was a heckler in the front and I'm playing a big show, let's say, and I start talking to them, I'm forgetting that nobody else can hear. So I'm like kind of ruining the show because there's one bad egg in front. And um, Oh, because they can't even hear. They can hear you because then they're in the microphone, but they can't hear the heckler. So most right. people don't even know that there's a heckler or what he's saying. Exactly. And now you're like, what's happening up there? Like, Yeah, the majority of the crowd isn't enjoying themselves until the performer, me, takes the focus off the show and starts putting it on some annoying person in the front row and having a conversation with them or chastising them, even worse, chastising them. Yeah, I love watching Nikki perform because she just doesn't give a fuck. She always puts on a great show, no matter what. If it's like 10 people or hundreds of people. And I asked her about it the other day and she, I go, what's your secret? Like you always seem, you just deliver. You just do like, you give 100% every time, no matter what. And you just, you're just goofy and fun and 
And she's like, oh, I just blur my eyes a little bit. I don't like to make eye contact with people. And she goes, so I never make, I just do my set and I don't like stare at anyone in the eyes because that can derail me. And I just like do my show and I do the best I can do. And I just like, don't get sidetracked. She's there to do her show and like do her thing and <laughs> yeah, like, whatever they're doing or reacting to it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like she's so checked out that she doesn't pick up on little things. Right. Like she'll engage if there's a reason to, but she doesn't let anybody's bad vibe bring her down. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. That is a definite like superpower. Yeah. But, oh, and I also, because you were mentioning like the checking in um, on your day, like, and I love that. How can this make it better? That reminded me, I often share something that you taught me that someone told you about how I think it was a friend of yours instead of, I don't know if it was instead of making a to-do list or along with, oh, yeah. that at the end of the day, I believe it was a him yep. maybe, that he would write down a what I did do. Yes. That I day love. list. You and know, I, I take the, I share that with so many people and it's, you know, and it's sort of turned into like, I'm like, Hey, even just like, what if you, what can you acknowledge yourself? Like one thing you can acknowledge yourself for at the end of the day is one thing I'll teach. But it's based on, I think from you sharing that with him of like, we all day can focus on like, Oh, I didn't, I only marked three things off this giant list, but really like our to-do lists are never ending. If you can mark yes. everything off, then it's like, let me remember 18 other things to do for the following day. And really like, maybe we didn't do those things because we were doing other things. Totally. Or if it's like, oh, I didn't do anything because I was laying on the couch, but that's still a way to acknowledge yourself because I was taking care of myself. Or like, oh, I didn't do that thing because I got caught on the phone with my friend for an hour. What did I, that's a way to acknowledge myself. I'm an amazing friend that I show up for like, you know, I'm there to support my people. Like, so I love that and I share that with people all the time to like look for ways to acknowledge yourself instead of getting so cut up into like I didn't do enough today or what didn't I get done yeah the log I do that too I reminded him about that the other day and thanked him for that tool and he's like I have absolutely no recollection of telling you that I'm like well you've helped a lot of people through me because I do it all the time is he saying like he doesn't even remember doing it or he doesn't remember telling you he doesn't remember doing it or telling me. <laughs> it was like a great <laughs> point in his life. He was really on it. He actually was like, I don't think I did that. I'm like, you did. I saw the list. I remember. I saw the list. That's awesome. Well, he's changed a lot of yeah. people's lives. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't carry it on himself. <laughs> okay. All right. I asked you to pick a keychain of which phrase most spoke to you right now and why. I picked everything is going my way, and this is so good. One of my life mantras is everything is happening for me, not to me. And this reminded me of that same attitude that everything is a gift. Everything that's happening is exactly what's supposed to be happening at the exact right moment. And I have not been able to disprove that because when I look back on my past, Everything was perfect. Everything was a gift, even if it was wrapped in bad wrapping paper. Every breakup, every um, job disappointment, every career disappointment, every romantic disappointment truly did lead me to the best things and the best outcome for myself. So I love this. Everything is going my way. Yeah, that's one of my keys too. And it also feels like it's sort of like, hey, everything's going my way even, but it's like, I don't, there's no like expectation of the timing or how it's showing up. But like, hmm, these things, like even if you're like, I want these things and you're working on them, it's like, I trust everything's going my way. It's like big, I'm like, you guys get to it. I'm like looking up and it's like swirling my finger around. Like it somehow is all going my way. Cosmic intelligence. How. Or when it's like going to be like, ah. Yeah. I remember a bet really bad breakup 
ended up getting me into doing really great work on myself. And I remember credit, thinking like, I never would have been doing this amazing work on myself had it not been for that really awful breakup. And I grew so much because of it. So yeah. Yeah, I, re- I mean, there was no, I don't think there would have been any other way I would have ended up doing that work if it wasn't for the breakup. It was and that was like related. the breakup left you, like you were just shattered because it, like, I rem- it ended or? Yes, it ended and I was like, I was aware of all this anger and these patterns that weren't working for me anymore that he, that person brought out in me where I was like unreasonably angry a lot about stuff. And I'm like, I need to work on this. Like I keep blaming that person for them their own behavior but like my anger is kind of um it's out of proportion to what's actually happening so i need to deal with what's up with my anger what's up with why i'm being such a doormat what's up with why am i putting up with this bad behavior for so long what's up with like why i seek these people out what's up with putting my self-care last so it really helped me to turn things around and that was Big like time. once the relationship ended, then you started yeah. to like well, see, wait, it ended because of this, but also. It was, I think I, I got this help right before it ended. <laughs> I could see the writing oh. on the wall though. I was like, I could tell my anger was so, um, it was just like, I was getting upset about really little things and so upset. And, I, and my friends, a couple friends were like, you're, <laughs> you don't seem good. <laughs> we haven't ever seen you this upset and like obsessed or whatever. And thank God for friends that will like gently but bluntly tell you once in a while. There's only a handful of people probably that I would even tolerate feedback from. Like I don't like feedback from people. Yeah. And it's yeah, in such a like it has to be the right timing too. I had a good friend give me feedback the other day and I just like bit her head off. I was like, you know what? I'm not ready for this. (laughs) You need to shut up. (laughs) Still a work in progress. Um, well, I love, yeah, I love that ex- actual like seeing back to like, wow, that I didn't think things were going my way, but thank sort of like, wow, thank God that all went the way it did. Yeah. Because I would have what is a go to or any, it'd be more than one go tos to raise your joy levels. Like when you're feeling off, maybe like you are like, oh, have a co writing session or like, so you're like, have meant a, to be somewhere a meal. <laughs> to have a meal. <laughs> Usually, if I'm grumpy, I need to eat something. Um, <laughs> But true joy, like if I'm well-fed and I'm still grumpy and I need a happiness lift, um, connection, like making a phone call, helping someone else, asking how someone is doing, even when I don't want to, almost always puts me in a good mood. Like calling my mom and just checking on her and seeing how she's doing or my dad. Um, Honestly, 20 minutes on the elliptical is an instant serotonin lift for me. So I do that a lot. I'll do that just, you know. Just for a mood lift. Yeah. And um, it is crazy. That's what I meditation. I so these days like don't really ever think of exercises like, well, I can think of like yoga as like, oh, my body, but I'm not like, I need to fit in my exercise so like that I feel this way. It's not, it's like my, it's so like a mind thing for me now or mind, like just even tension in my body. But like, yeah, like exercise for me is not really about like, I need to, be fit. Yeah, me or either. Thin. It's like it's this like is my antidepressant. A <laughs> <laughs> and meditation. I love it. That makes me feel really good. Meditation. Yeah, yeah, even just 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Um, okay, I ask everybody, I 
had this aha earlier and it's like a duh, but I have fun seeing how people can apply it to their own life, which the thought is what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. And like where you can apply that to your life. What is easiest is for me to do this, but I know what it's best for me is to do this. So that's a question. What's easiest for me versus what is best for me? Yeah, to figure out a way to apply that to your own life right now. What is easiest for me is to... Oh, I don't know. What is best for me? I think I need to have a snack. I can tell my blood sugar is <laughs> low. I'm not thinking well. What is easiest for me versus... What's yours? Well, like an easy one that I'll always say is like, what is easiest for me is to... St- sleep in until my kids wake me up but it's best for me is to pull my ass out of bed and to like oh. move my body or something like that because that affects how I feel all day or like what oh, is easiest, I know exactly. you know it's anything like what is easiest for me is to sit around and do nothing what is best for me what is easiest is to not write a song what is best for yes me is to be what creative. is easiest for me is to not practice and then what's best for me is to put in a little time every day to practice and write I like to do writing about what's going on or like work on my stories between my songs practice warming up my voice i love to there's nothing better than actually feeling confident with a strong voice for a show and i find all sorts of reasons to not practice oh i have to see a friend for coffee i have to do x y or z i have to sleep in i i will find a thousand reasons not to practice it's wild but um, yeah, that's what's best for me. That's what I'm thinking about this week before all these shows I have to do. Right, yeah, because you're I going get back to, do to show mode. All these shows I get to do. Are <laughs> you changing my language? <laughs> Good job. Do not have to. Yes. <laughs> shows I want to do, not should. There. Right? Okay. For all these shows, <laughs> yes, I want to practice because I want to show up as my best with these shows or whatever. Yeah, see, now I know why you're a joyologist. <laughs> I keep having flashbacks to like the video you made, like the raw wraps or something. Trisha used to make you're, these like, amazing so raw vegan wraps. And this is like right after I quit drinking, I think. And I was just like bouncing off the walls off her <laughs> raw vegan creations because I had so much energy and it was like this is my new drug <laughs> I just remember bouncing into the room where you were making smoothies and wraps and just yeah like, I felt like you were my groupie a little bit I really was <laughs> I mean they were so good I'll never forget that was those were the days man it was so fun okay the final question is the name of the podcast is claim it meaning like it's up to us to claim our joy, our worth, our value, mm-hmm. our enoughness. It's not out there somewhere. Once I get this, once I sell this many albums, perform for this many people, whatever. Once the indie magazines accept me. Right. You don't have this. It's something we have to claim for ourselves. So what are you claiming for yourself today? I'm claiming that I am a loving, kind, responsible, talented, worthy singer, songwriter, and musician, and friend. <laughs> yes, I love that it. That feels good. I felt like I was like coming back to the beginning where you said the musician or whatever, that I was like, you need to yeah. claim that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I oh am my a God, musician. I feel empowered. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. I love you. I love you this so, is so much. Fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I hope you guys now love Anya as much as I do. You can find her at AnyaMarina.com. She's at AnyaMarina on social media. 
For all show notes, links to things we talked to, go to yourdurologist.com slash podcast and you'll find notes to all the episodes there. For more me, of course, go to yourdurologist.com. I'm at yourdurologist on all things social media. And oh, please subscribe, rate the podcast, leave a comment, let me know what you think. And if you do, leave a review, screenshot it, email it to podcast at yourdurologist.com. And I may send you a box full of goodies from my product line. I've got affirmation deck, mugs, journals, all sorts of things. Great for holiday gifting, BTW. Who doesn't want a dose of inspiration in their life? Some are a little bit more straightforward than others. That means there are cuss words involved in some of my products, but not all of them. (laughs) And I'm going to leave you with this final note. One of the things I so loved from Anya's conversation is thinking about what would make today great. What a great thing to think about, right? And that you couldn't think about it at the beginning of the day. What would make today great? But even like right now, no matter what time of day you're listening, what would make today great right now? What's something I can do to make my day great? All right, do it. Send me a DM, share it. Come find me on social media at Your Joyologist. See you later. Or hear you later. Or you'll hear me later. Or Okay, you got it. (laughs) 